This episode of Tune on Toast is brought to you by Hammer Toyota. And guess who's in the Tune on Toast studio? It's Johnny from Hammer. What's up, man? How are you? Everything is good. First of all, thank you for being the number one sponsor of Tune on Toast for over a year now. And Stryker, thank you for having this podcast. It just, it's amazing listening to it. And then thank you for the support of Hammer Toyota. Myself, the whole store appreciates you and appreciates everybody that's been coming in and just being so friendly and nice and happy. And this has been awesome. Thank you. I'm not saying go get a car this second, but when it's time, Hammer Toyota here in Southern California. You can always send me a DM on Instagram, Ted Stryker, and I will hook you up with Johnny Yunin, the general sales manager. They are Hammer Toyota out there in Mission Hills. And check out the website, H-A-M-E-R, HammerToyota.com. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that created it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Yeah, welcome back. Or if it's your first time, hello, greetings. It is Ted Stryker. This is Tuna on Toast. And what an awesome episode this is with Andrew McMahon. A few things that you should know, and this will be easy to follow along. Andrew McMahon came over last Thursday. Two days before that, on Tuesday, that's when Tom DeLong announced that he's coming back to Blink-182 with Mark Hoppus and Travis Barker. And side note, uh, in case you didn't know, Tom DeLong has been on my podcast. He's been at my house. That is a freaking awesome episode so when you're done with this listen to tom DeLong, or you can watch all tuna on toast episodes on youtube okay blink 182 does the big announcement on tuesday that they're coming back they also announced their world tour and it was announced that they're gonna play next year's when we were young music festival in las vegas so a lot going on for blink 182 then we get the lineup for when we were young 2023 and we see green day on there and a bunch of great bands including something corporate andrew mcmahon's band that was formed at dana hills high school in the late 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 90s in 2000 they had the ready break album of course there was audio boxer and leaving through the window and then in 2003 their last full-length album north Something corporate. I was 1 million percent a huge fan of theirs. Blasting them on the radio 20 plus years ago. I got to know Anna McMahon. He was a little kid at the time. He still, to me, looks like a 19-year-old. He's so smart. And a quality that he has that I believe many of the guests have. It's more than talent. He's just extremely self-aware and music is his destiny, was his destiny. There's nothing else that this guy should be doing. And we get into all things something corporate, including how did it come about that they got offered to play the When We Were Young Music Festival? Is he still in contact with the guys from the band? Did they all want to do it? Because many of them have other lives. They're professionals, not necessarily in the music industry. And it's super interesting. And of course, Jack's Mannequin, Andy McMahon in the wilderness, why the different bands, why change band names, what in the world is going on. He's fantastic. So let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Tuna on Toast studio, the very talented Andrew McMahon. Watch your feet, watch your head, watch the whatever. Wow, this you is <laughs> like legit, dude. Thank you. I love it. I'm not messing around. Dude, nor should you be. Thank you. <laughs> Love the no doubt. 
Oh, Link yeah. Records, that's cool. It's pretty, pretty dope. They put, no doubt, put Anaheim on the map in a different sort of way than, obviously, Disneyland. Totally. And I was talking to a friend the other day. He just finally got that the album is Tragic Kingdom based off, it's the Magic Kingdom right there. I did not get that. Oh, here we this go. This is the, that you just, you just dropped <laughs> some knowledge on me that I, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but that is... I can't believe that. You were today years old when you found out that Tragic Kingdom is a playoff Magic Kingdom. That's incredible. Yes. How did I not know that? I don't know. And you're like probably in the top seven smart people I know. I well, I think you might be re, you might be you might be adjusting that figure as of today. Do you think the timing could not be better for No Doubt to start doing shows? Yeah. Are they doing it? No. They're not. No. But like Gwen has become an A plus plus lister. Yeah. But that audience, I think, doesn't know what a Bad ass she is. Oh, she's so good. Doing push-ups on stage and a front woman, like, front per- like, the best. She's, yeah, she, I, I've, I've only seen her twice. I And I saw her, I saw him on the, I saw him on, a, like, one of the, I want to say it's probably one of the last tours. I'm trying to remember. There was, like, they actually did this really amazing sort of, like, very heartwarming, nostalgic moment where they showed, like, they were showing pictures of them as kids on the screens while and stuff they were like playing? that while they were oh, doing one of the songs man. and it was just and it was it was amazing but i i remember like walking out of that show it was like oh yeah that's like one of the best front people i've ever seen on a yeah, stage yeah yeah she's so she's so badass i mean i want to see her in sweatsuits adidas sweatsuits on stage that like she used to wear yeah you know you're not you don't want you don't want what is it the lamb or whatever well, i like lamb yeah, no yeah, yeah, i yeah. like her brand yeah but um you know she's so obviously so well put together i just want the her newer fans to see this other side of her, which is, to me, that's what got her to this position. Oh, dude, can you imagine? I think, like, I think a No Doubt tour would probably be the biggest tour in the world by far. It would be huge. Yeah. Let's, let's lobby for that. Okay. All right. We got the No Doubt talk out of the way. There is a rumor that you have been texting me, but you've been actually texting my old phone number and having conversations with somebody. Is this true, man? I ha- I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to have to actually open up this text thread because it was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. So I had an old number for you in my phone and I just texted saying like, Hey man, I hope you're feeling okay. Like just wanted to send you a little, like get well soon thing. And I got a reply that was something to the effect of, Oh man, I feel like, I feel like the Kool-Aid man. I could just go jumping through, through a wall right now. <laughs> and, I, and I was, and I was, and I, and I, it felt I was like I was like that's something Stryker might say to me. I don't know. It's possible, you know. Like so, I I just sent a gif of the Kool Aid Man, right? Like I was like, oh, this is funny. And then he sent me like some very very strange, like disturbing image of a of a a man having like uh, like like the operation game, okay, the board right? game, but yes, it was a yes. human, okay, like like having their nipples pinched by Whoa. by uh, uh, clamps or okay. something like that, <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that's actually really disturbing. You wrote that? And I did. Thinking yeah. you're talking to me. Thinking I was talking to you, but it, it occurred to me pretty quickly that something was wrong. Then he sent something else that was bizarre, and I was like, now's probably an important time to ask the question, am I speaking with the person who I think I'm speaking with? <laughs> And the next thing I get is a picture of, like, some bro with, like, a 200-pound tuna in front of him on the ground. <laughs> and he's, like, like kind of flexing because he clearly had caught this fish. Right, right. And I was like, well, that answers that question. 
and congratulations on the catch. And he's like, yeah, man, 200 pounds off the co-. It's like, he get, and whatever. I was like, enjoy your dinner. <laughs> you know, like, and that was the end of the experience. Did he know you were Andrew McMahon? I said my name. In you the did? Text. First and last sh- name? I'm pretty sure I said my right. full and name. And did you say, Stryker, what's up? And no, then- uh, no, I didn't even say oh, you your didn't. name. I, you were spared in this conversation. Oh. <laughs> Although, my guess is he's probably been texted by other people who thought that they were calling you because it was an old number. I need to call my old number and record it. I have the number. St- if I don't have the number still saved, this thread is available, and okay. I'm going to show it to you, and you will be equally disturbed. I want to see it. Can we post the thread at some point? I think so. Okay, that would be. I think we. I think we should awesome. definitely do it. Man alive! Yeah, yeah. I know. I always wonder what happens to old numbers. How long does it take before they pass it to someone else? Well, I mean, when was the, when did you cancel that number? Because we have the answer it's now. It's like. <laughs> Oh, man. 12 years ago? Really? But you're not the first person who has told me that they have had conversations with that guy thinking that they're talking to me yeah. with this guy. He's probably having such a ball. I think he's really enjoying himself. This giant-ass tuna that he's catching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he didn't seem like a bad guy, but he definitely wanted to string it on as long as he could. But I, I, caught, I caught on pretty quickly. Thank God. Um, so, Andrew, I appreciate so much that you're here for a variety of reasons. But leading off, you played last night. I did. Not too far from here, right? Yeah, we did. So we put a song out, you know, in in the new world. You know, we're just kind of releasing songs slowly. The record's almost done and will come out in the new year. But we put out sort of the second song uh, off the record Which last ones? night. Which uh, Skywriting. Oh, Skywriting. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so we thought, like, well, let's just do, let's just do, like, a a really small show and we did a hotel cafe gig. So it was just, it was rad. It was just me and the piano and wow. like hacking through a catalog of songs that I swore I rehearsed before I got there. But like <laughs> there was definitely moments where I was having fans, Google lyrics and things like that during the set, but it was great. How far back did you go in your own catalog at the show last night? I went deep. Yeah. I mean, I played, I played some, I played some old something corporate tunes. I did. I mean, I did songs off of both of the something corporate records. I did a, I mean, I think I did a song off of every Jack's record as well. And, and off and off all the new stuff. Yeah. It was like, it was a good two hours of just, and, and also like I chose to do songs because I played in the fall and I also just came off the road this summer with, with dashboard who's been on, Chris has been on the show. The the nicest man you'll ever meet. Yeah. Uh, And and so I'd kind of try to just do a set list, a lot of deep cuts and things that haven't made it into into a show in a while. And that was super fun, too. How important was it to you? Let's go back like seven years sure. or not important yeah. to play your whole history of music that you've created since you were like 17, 18, 19 years old. I'm finding it more important now than I than I have historically. You know, I, I think you know, jumping from something corporate to Jack's Mannequin you know, I wasn't trying to erase something corporate, but it was like I was so in Jack's mannequin and like really trying to, you know, get a foothold and say, this is what I'm doing now, that we almost never played something corporate songs when I was with Jack's. Maybe a little bit later on, we would throw in one or two. Um, with the Wilderness Project, because it's under my own name, you know, I've been a lot more interested in kind of connecting the dots on my history, right? Like, you know, and, I, and that was part of the reason I did it was like, okay, I'm this dude that has been in all these bands. This is my name. And if you come to one of my shows, you get to hear songs from all of it, you know, but, uh, but this last couple tours, especially it's, it's, there's been a lot of nostalgia at play. And that's awesome. And I think it is the coolest that artists such as yourself, and there are some other ones who 
in 2000 to 2006 range, so many of them did not get the credit that they deserved at the time, in my opinion. <laughs> and now some of it is starting to come back. Yeah. And many people are realizing, holy mackerel, some of these artists were right in front of our eyes doing really good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's been such a wild ride for me because I'm always just, like, looking forward, right? You know, and that's hence, like, doing the very dumb uh, maneuver of changing my name every every six years. <laughs> it's like, oh, you want to be successful? Here's a good idea. Right. Go hide in plain sight under a new name. Right, um, yeah. Um, but, but I think because, uh, you know, because weirdly each, each next project got a little more attention than the previous, you know, that I've been so fortunate to like actually have the first like real hit be with my newest project, right? That is, it sort of freed me up now to, to like be able to really look back. And then to have this last couple of years where like you're saying, all of a sudden th that wave of the music we were making back then is breaking again and people are coming back to it and, and wanting to sort of tap back into those memories and bringing a lot of that music up to the forefront. Um, so it's, yeah, it's wild. It's it, it, this last year, especially I think with, all these nostalgia sort of moments popping up and bands getting back together. It's been like, Oh, okay. Wow. Like 2001 is, is back here with us in 2022, you know? And you feel a hundred percent great about that. You know, I do. I, th I think in another context, if I, if I hadn't, um, if I hadn't established myself outside of the scenes that had, had sort of, uh, uh raised me up, I might, feel a little more insecure about going and, and revisiting those things. But for me now, it's really like a celebration. You know, I had, I had this, cool. this good, something corporate good, guys good. came and played a, a surprise set at, or, yeah, at my birthday yeah, show. Yeah. And it was compared to the other handful of times where we've gotten together to do things that I think were a little stressful or I felt maybe like, should I be doing this? It felt right. You know, it felt like there, there are moments in life where celebrating where you come from and what you did can be really satisfying. And, and, you know, the fact that we're going to get to play another show and do this festival next summer, like, I'm I'm actually really, really excited about it. When We Were Young Festival 2023 was announced. Yeah. And something corporate is right there. You got a good-sized font. My yeah. eyes went directly <laughs> to it. I When I saw the 2022 lineup, I was saying on the radio and anybody would listen, how come something corporate isn't on the 2022 lineup? What's going on? They sh that would be so cool. And then all of a sudden... There you are. How did that, you don't have to give us like true behind the yeah. scenes, let's go, but how did that come together for you guys? I mean, I was surprised, honestly. I was like, how did we not get a phone call for this? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I wasn't like hurt, but I was just like, I was looking at the bill going like, this is, it would have been so sensible for somebody to have picked up a phone. and Right in your and, wheelhouse. And I think, I, I, I do think that, you know, there's an interest in, in, clearly building up the longevity of the festival. And so, you know, I, I, I decided to say maybe they were just waiting to make that phone call for next year, which is, is what happened. Um, but it, to go behind the scenes on you, that whole thing didn't get confirmed until midnight on Monday. So, so the, this is great. So we had an offer out for something corporate and I had told the guys all individually, Hey, like we're going to get a big offer to do this festival. We're trying to like, you know, just clean up the deal and make sure it's, it's, you know, it's what we want to do before I present it to you. But everybody sort of was like, yo, that sounds great. But we hadn't confirmed. And then I think because Blink and Green Day were announcing their world tour or something to that effect. Blink, Tom was coming back to Blink. That was just announced this week on Tuesday. Right. Right, yes. So, so they, apparently on Monday, so I hear, the festival was informed, you have to announce 
the lineup on Tuesday be, in conjunction with all of these other lineups for the, the, sure. the headliners. Yeah. So I got a call from my agent at like 10 p.m. on Monday. And I was like, just kind of like getting into bed. I had the house to myself, which is has <laughs> never happened. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get into bed early. I'm going to like watch some TV. Like I'm going to just chill out. I had like a little glass of mezcal. I was like, I was settling in right. and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> Andrew, we have a problem. I'm like, what? Like, you know, I don't get calls from my agent at 10, you know? And he's like, he's like, they're going to announce we were young tomorrow. And because the deal isn't done, you're not on the poster. And if we don't, if we don't confirm, you're not going to be announced for the festival. So I was like, oh shit. Like they're, they're like, can you get the guys on the phone? I was like, I don't know. Like everybody's got kids. So I'm calling all my bandmates, like texting everybody. Can't get a hold of anybody. And they're like, well, at uh, not that anyone's old here, but they're probably sleeping by ten o'clock at night. These well, days. yeah, they all have yeah, they all have kids, and they <laughs> all and they're all like super successful, and probably had to wake up early to like you right. know do successful guy things, you know, like and and uh, uh, and so I'm like texting everybody, I'm like, this is not how I want to do this, but I might have to confirm this festival without your without anybody's approval, which if you know my history as like a possibly tyrannical leader back in the day, you know, that, that, that might've overstepped when it came to decisions. I really didn't want the first thing to happen in our reuniting. To give them some PTSD of that. Yeah. To be like, <laughs> by the way, guys, we're, uh, we're playing a festival in October. Uh, so I was freaking, I was freaking out and I, I finally got clutch on the phone and I was like, I told him the situation and I said, you're going to have to do this with me. If we're going to say yes, you have to say yes too, you know? And so, so we did and we said yes and went back to the promoter and told him, oh yeah, the band's all confirmed. Everything's good. Fully knowing that I might wake up in the morning and somebody's like, oh no, I'm on vacation that right. week or whatever it is, you know? <laughs> My kid's soccer yeah, game yeah, yeah. And, and, and P.S. F you for doing this to us. But, but luckily I woke up to everybody just being stoked and, and, cool, and, man. and ready for it. And yeah, but I'm just thinking like kind of these smaller things or maybe not that small to you. Like I'm pumped for your merch that's going to be available. I want some <laughs> something corporate merch, man. I still have the something corporate pin with the ribbon. Oh yeah. From back in 2000. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, I, I'm excited for all of it. Honestly, it, it's so funny because I'm here in the process of like putting out a new record and then, and then also going to be running this parallel track with whatever leads up to that. But I, it's, it's really lit a fire to just get like these vinyl reissues done. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I'd love to just curate a bunch of like the sort of vintage, like best something corporate designs and, yeah. and, and put them on really nice t-shirts and, 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 yeah, I, I think it's going to be a beautiful moment. I really do. When they are talking to you about playing the festival, do they mention like how long they expect your set to be, what time you're going to be on, or is it just like, guys, this is the deal, this is the offer, we really want you there, we'll figure out that stuff later? I'm sure somebody knows that, but, okay. I, but I don't. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, looking at the lineup and knowing it's on one day, I can't imagine anybody's going to be playing our sets other than right. whoever's closing the show. I mean, but... Yeah, it would be really funny if we if we got together and it was like a warp tour, like twenty five minute set. You know what I mean? I mean, it's probably going to be a thirty to thirty eight minute set. Come That's out there, you're going to rock people's faces off. Yeah, make people shed a few tears, like me standing there going, "I love you guys. This is so awesome." Yeah. And then the debate over whether or not to play Constantine when it'll take up a third right. of the set. <laughs> 
man, oh alive. I'm getting stressed all this. No, no, don't yeah, get yeah. stressed. No, 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 we, are, we are here to relax. Okay. Is it cool if I rewind with you in life to the late 90s? Oh, yeah. You're going to Dana Hills High School in the, right. in the late 90s? That's right. Yeah. I uh, That was really the first place after moving uh, so many times as a kid that felt like home. You know, I found my people at Dana Hills. I mean, I still hang out with a lot of my good friends from from school there. But yeah, it was it was it was at Dana Hills and that's where sort of this whole chapter of my life began. Were you an outcast? Were you part like <laughs> what like what were you like in high school? I was an I was an awkward kid, especially entering Dana Hills. I mean I probably weigh what I weigh now, but I was like eight inches short. <laughs> So you do the math on, on how that, you know, so I was, I was, I was a really awkward chubby kid entering high school, um, sought refuge in the theater department where, you know, you might do that because you, people are a little more kind and, and, and accepting of, of, of all kinds. And, um, that's where I met a lot of my close friends early on. It's where I met Kevin who became the bass player for something corporate. Um, but no, I, I, I was good at making friends, you know, like I, I, because I was, you know, I had this thing, I played piano, I had confidence in one area of my life. It certainly wasn't in my physical appearance. It was like, I can write a song, you know? Yeah. And so slowly over time, no matter what school I was at, that would become my identity, right? It would be like, oh, that's the kid that, that, that sings his own songs, you know? And, and there's currency in that. People think that that's, that's cool. And yeah, for sure. And, and so as I kind of grew into my, like my body and, and made friends and, and did plays and things like that. I, I actually became close with people kind of across all the, the sort of cliques in school. It was, you know, I was friends with football players and I was friends with, with the drama kids and the band kids. And I, I was, I, I figured out the hack in high school, which was you could ditch as much school that you wanted if you joined the student government. Okay. <laughs> so like I had, I had student government friends cause I was like the class rep, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, there were certainly kids who detested me. I mean, there were, there were, there were corners that, you know, you, you know, as a kid who's an artist, you have your share of detractors and people who call you names and things like that. So I had a little bit of that, but I was always well protected. And then at what point was it in high school or just after and i'm sure you and i discussed this on the radio 20 years ago but i don't remember yeah when did the band get a little traction that you all thought hey let's continue with this so it was going into my senior year of going high school. into your senior year yeah so oh my god we had we had done well like my junior year was when like the second iteration of the band formed and we called ourselves something corporate and we like won the battle of the bands at school yep. and started doing yep. like you know the basement birthday party here and there or, or played at like somebody's church or whatever it was. And Josh and our, Ruben, our guitar player at the time, they were all going off to college. So Josh was going to go to Arizona state. Ruben was going to Pepperdine and um, Brian and, and clutch had stayed back and they were, they were going to Saddleback to community college, but we knew the band was going to end because these guys were leaving. Right. And to do a farewell show, we were like, well, we have to sit. I mean, the band has, fa like, we have, like, fans. They were, like, friends, but people like to go see the band yeah. play. And so we, I tried to get a gig at the Coach House uh, because it was the local place where you could play a show. Sure. I had been trying for a year, and they're like, you don't have any, you don't have a demo. You don't, like, how are we supposed to book you? Like, we don't know you're worth anything. And I would, I would go in there, like, once a week and be like, I, I promise you I get, like, a couple hundred people to come here. Like, yeah, yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. And I was a kid. I mean, I was also a very young-looking 16-year-old. Yeah. And um, and so 
we th- we got my bass player's dad was in the community theater, and we re- we traded painting the sets for the theater if they would give us the theater for a night so we could throw a farewell concert. Wow! And we flyered it for a week before the show. Where'd you fly? Did you come up here to Hollywood and fly? No, just, just around have... town and 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 like just in in the high school neighborhoods and and, okay. with, and with friends and things like that. And like three hundred people showed up, and nice. and I remember we were we were finishing the set, and I was like, "Yes, that's a lot of people to come to a, like a local band's concert." And and so while the guys were painting the set for the theater that day, I returned the sound system that we used, and then I went to the coach house, and I was like, "Listen, I know I've been coming in here a lot, but we put up a show that we." We sold $8 tickets and we promoted it for one week and more than 300 people came and paid in full. And the booker looked at me and was like, if you can do that, you can headline the coach house. And she gave me a date right then. And I went back to Josh and Ruben and I said, look, if, would you be willing to like come home for this show? And it was going to be in a month. And they said, hell yeah, like, of course. And we bought Josh a plane ticket and he came home and we sold out the coach house then. And then, it, and what did the, they say to you? Did they say anything like, "Wow, you guys are actually good," or "You guys are thanks for doing"? Like, they what were, was that? They were amazing. It became that was the start of of sort of being under the tutelage of of Gary Fulner, who who owned the coach house and the Galaxy at the time, which is now the Observatory in right. Santa Ana. Yeah. Um, and their production manager, uh, lighting guy, who was like really rough with us on the first day, like screamed at us for putting our gear on the stage before he had come, come in for soundtrack. He makes us rip our gear off the stage, (laughs) yells at us for like 10 minutes. And we're just like, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. We didn't like, we didn't know. And he's like, okay, put your gear back up on the stage. You know, like, but these guys actually, they were this sort of rough and tumble benefactors and, and teachers and coaches. And it began this thing through my whole senior year where not only were we playing the coach house or the galaxy at least once a month and selling them almost every time the guys at the club were like, well, maybe we should help you make a record, you know? And so Gary paid for something corporate to make our first ready break. break. So Gary from coach house. Yeah. Gave you guys some money to make that. Yeah. How much? Well, he, so it was all in kind, basically. They had a recording rig okay. at the Galaxy. And so we started by, we cut all the, we cut all the, the live, um, a lot of the live stuff right on the stage of the Galaxy after hours. So a band would, a band would finish their show. The, the show would load out and then we'd come in at like one in the morning and set up on the stage and do the basic tracks. And I, my senior year, by the end of my senior year, I was sometimes sleeping in the dressing rooms at the galaxy after doing like a all night recording session, I'd sleep and then I'd get my backpack and go to school. Your parents said, what about this? When that you're not coming home and you're 17 years old, sleeping at a music club. Yeah. They, I mean, look, my, my parents were so ride or die with me on my music. You know, it was never anything that they pushed, but I think the, the, the beautiful thing they did for all their kids was they, if, if their kid had a passion, they were just like, let's do this, right? Wow, you know, great. because I think, you know, school was never going to be my thing, right? I was just always trying to get out of school. And, and but I sat down at a piano and played six hours a day and I wrote songs and they liked my songs and they believed in me. 
Um, and they saw that these shows were selling out. And the, I mean, you could feel it by the, the middle of my senior year of high school. It was very uh, palpable that something was happening that if, if it just got tipped in the right direction, uh, it might, you know, might be the shot that they saw me craving f since I was nine years old, right, you know? Right. Um, so they were, they were always in for it. And I was a pretty, I mean, you know, I, I didn't come home drunk too often or getting too, I mean, I, I, I honestly, the, I feel like the only times I drank in my whole senior year of high school, I got caught every time. Um, so that was like a thing for them. But, but other than that, they were, they were, they were so down for it. So you graduate high school in 2000? Yeah. Okay. And now, so the guys come back from college, you sell out the venue, things are starting to happen. What decisions were made next amongst the guys that were at that time in the band? So the big thing, I mean, the biggest commitment really came from Josh because he had to really upend his his school life to be in the band, right? Um, at some point, I want to say he deferred maybe. He might have deferred in his second semester of his second year. I'm, I, I, I Don't quote me on that. But but there was a moment um, right around Christmas time where things were really heating up and we were getting attention. There were... We get, some label guys were starting to come to shows and, and it really looked possible. And, and it, we, we had a tough moment where Ruben, our, our first guitar player, he really wanted to go on this term abroad to Italy. Um, and this would have been, you know, I guess 2001, the beginning of 2001. And he left and we we're like, there'll be a spot for you when you get back, you know? And, and we, we brought in Will right. to, to, yeah. to fill in for Ruben. And I, I remember we threw this great New Year's Eve party at my parents' house. They, they didn't know we had done this, but, <laughs> but, but they, were, they went away for New Year's. And so I, we moved all the furniture out of my parents' house and put plastic down on all the carpets <laughs> and invited the world. I mean, there was like three or 400 people in my parents' house on oh the first floor. It was like wall-to-wall -wall people. And something, court. we did like a passing of the torch where Ruben and Will kind of, you know, both played. We we played on my parents' staircase. It was like this staircase in the in the foyer of the house. Yeah. So the band is, drummer drums are on top, piano's on the second landing. And then here are the guitar players kind of coming down the staircase and we play the show to the living room at my on New Year's Eve. And that's when Will joined the band. And... I'm it, glad it wasn't, um, there was no tension when that happened. No, well, I mean, Ruben knew he wanted to go do this thing, and we knew we needed to keep playing or else we were going to miss out on all these opportunities. The tough thing was we thought it was going to be temporary, mm -hmm. and but things just took off. Uh, you know, with Will in the band, like, there was just a, things gelled, and all of a sudden we're getting all these great offers, and, and people start climbing out of the woodwork, offering us record contracts and things. And, and, and there was just this moment where we all, we had to call Ruben in Italy and it was just like, it was so heartbreaking. It was like, dude, I think we're going to kind of stick with this lineup. And he was super gracious. I still talk to him every now and again. Okay, good, um, good, good. But that was the, I mean, that was when it got real, you know, that we had a, a development deal with Interscope for a minute and then drive through came to us and was like, we'll offer you a deal right now. We'll, we'll give you a van and a trailer and make a record and you'll be on the road in a couple months if you do this. And we were like, I mean, we did the business. Okay, hold on, but hold yeah, on, hold yeah. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> drive through, drive through, drive through. I know, right? Okay, <laughs> heads are exploding everywhere. Yeah. So smaller label with unbelievable bands, but then you mentioned Interscope. Wasn't MCA at some point involved? Ultimately, our deal with drive through ended up going to MC. Like, so we, 
they had an upstream deal to MCA, DriveThru did. And I never wanted to sign an indie deal. And I, and I didn't really know who DriveThru was. I didn't listen to punk music. Like I, I, I knew who Newfound Glory was because I had a girlfriend take me to a face-to-face concert where they opened. And okay. I was like, I like this band. I actually like both bands. Yeah. But it wasn't... I mean, that you, wasn't you, right in your yeah, sweet I was spot. Yeah, like, I was like playing ballads and like it was all this like heart-sick, you know, teenage, yeah. you know, <laughs> pop, rock, whatever. Um, and so when they reached out, I think most bands that they would reach out to just were like, oh my God, I could be on drive Through records and people pursued them. But it was very different for us because I wanted to be on a major label. I knew I had a piano. I knew, I just knew the the ins and outs of tour support and how essential it was going to be. And there, there wasn't going to be enough in their deal to support what we needed to do. Um, but we really liked them. And we liked the idea of being a part of a community and having other acts that we could right, tour with. Right. So they helped us to author a deal directly with MCA um, that would still, you know, drive through would have their imprint with us and, and, and we would be in the family, but we had kind of the security of the major label support there already. That's awesome to hear. <laughs> there's uh, in my mind immediately, there's three labels that if a band was on that label, then it got me super curious if I'd never heard of them. And drive through was a label. Epitaph yep. was another label. Yeah. And Fat Mike's oh, yeah. Fat Records. Fat Records. And I'm like, okay, well, let me go check this out. Who, who is this? But um, with you guys, I remember getting one of your CDs in like 2000, and I had no idea the label. I didn't know where you're from. I knew nothing. Yeah. But I knew I liked the music a lot, man. Dude, you, you were there first. I mean, crazy. I mean, I, I cannot even tell you this sort of surreal moment of putting out an EP that we literally put out as a, as a way to just kind of get us on the road or whatever. And we were like, we tried to sandbag a bunch of songs because we're like, oh, these are the big songs. We'll put them on the LP. And then driving to the studio to record Leaving Through the Window with you rocking If You See Jordan on Furious 5 at 9. Yes. And I remember like it just... Like having that, uh, you know, that if the uh, that thing you that do. thing you do moment, you know, like where oh. I'm driving in my car and I'm pulling up to the studio to make the record that's supposed to be the record, and you're jamming the song like back on Furious Five and I, and I'm like hanging out the window of my oh, car, like man. driving the studio as fast as I can, like everybody get out here and everybody getting around the my old Toyota Corolla and jumping oh. up and down hearing Jordan on the radio. Oh man. <laughs> it was big for us. That's so cool to hear. Yeah. Audio boxer. Was that though? Yeah. The okay. EP. So there were like five songs on there. And I remember of course, if you see Jordan was on there, um, but there was another song that I'm drawing. Hurricane was on yes, there too. Right, right. And I think Punk Rock Princess was on yes, there. Yes, it was. And, right. and then there was two other tunes, a tune called Little and a tune called Bad Days. Yeah. Now I understand the strategy right now that you wanted to warm people up. Here's some songs. This is who we are. We're going to go on the road. But those songs got so big before the full length came out. Totally. Was that a good thing? I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You know what I mean? I, 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 of course it was good. We were on the radio and people knew who we were. I mean, there's, there's nothing bad about that. I mean, I, th- I think, look, if it had been on the full length record, you know, I, 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 there's, there's an argument to be made that it's like, if that moment happened just a little later, the, the, you know, the, the rock and the slingshot might've gone a little further, but, yeah. but I, you know, I have no, uh, all of these like sort of good luck moments. It's like, you just have to be prepared for them. Right. It's like, you do the work and if somebody's going to put your song on the radio, you just, you, you do the work to, to chase it and make sure that, that, that you have stuff behind it. So we just went we got off the road and went right into the studio as soon as mm. Jordan started breaking because we were like, we need to have something ready to, to follow it. So you could feel the mm. momentum when you guys were out on the road that there was 
it's a different level than 1999. It's like you could feel that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you especially at home. Right. Um, because I'm, so much of it was being driven by you guys at K-Rock at that point. And I mean, we were still on the road in the van and there would be nights we'd play and there would be like six people there. Right. Mm. But all of a sudden, you know, then we, we get an offer because we're on K-Rock now. It's like they offer us main stage on the Warp Tour. We're a totally unproven touring act. Right. <laughs> and it's like Kevin's like, I think this is going to happen for you and I want you to be on the main stage. And it was like, okay, uh, sounds like, a, sounds like we're doing that now. You know, so it, yeah, there was just this, this really tectonic shift where, you know, now all of a sudden the labels going, all right, we, we're going to make a music video and you have a budget of like a quarter million dollars, Jesus you know, and like Christ. we got, we hired the Shermanator from right. American Chris Pie. Is yeah, that Chris, yeah, Chris. Great. What yeah. an a-hole he is in that video too. Oh, he did a great job. Oh my gosh. He was so fun. Um, and yeah, there's like Playboy models in the video and, and, and yeah, I mean, it was like, it was, and you had to get all the school outfits for everybody to match. It, like, it that was, was a real video, man. It was like, <laughs> you're a teenage boy and you have a song on the radio and you can spend infinite amounts of money. It's like, uh, okay, this is what we'll do. You know, we'll hire an actor from American Pie. Yes. And like a bunch of beautiful people and and we'll all dress up in school uniforms. Like this is fun. Uh, so Do you get excited watching the video now, seeing yourself? Or do you get a little like, ay, 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 what's it like? I don't think I've seen that video in a decade. Probably. I've seen it recently. I've, oh, yeah. You've got very cute... Rosy cheeks. I've got these, I mean, yeah, I just look like I'm 10. And your hair is similar to, like, somebody in the strokes at that time. It's just, like, that good, puffy, long, like, it looked, yeah. you look great, man. It, I mean, all good memories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all good memories. I definitely, uh, you know, it was, it's so funny about having been signed in that era of the music business, right? Because you could be a band like ours, and people were just spending ungodly amounts of money on None of it ever came to us, but it, but it all mm. people were willing to promote a record. People would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, we were recording in cello down the hall from Tom Petty. You know, like wow, and using almost none of the studio. You know what I mean? It was like, oh yeah, it makes sense that we're going to spend three grand a day making a record, and we're using like the the vocal booth for the drums because the main because the, the 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 main room was just too big and boomy to do what we needed to do you know like it's it, the i mean it really it was that like the last era of like the truly gluttonous sort of music business it was a funny time to to make records in and then also to as you start making your subsequent records you're like oh it's different now you know like right, and right. which is which honestly i like running lean i think it's like to me, I, I feel like it, it keeps me sort of hungry and, 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 and working with less is a, I think is a limitation that I has, has led to a lot of success for me, but it was fun, you know, having catered lunch at, at your, at your studio right. for, for a year or so. What was the temperament or what was the cohesiveness of the band after you guys released North? Did it feel <laughs> wonderful? Was there weird stuff going on? It's so hard to really place myself in that. I mean, when I wrote the book last year, I, I worked really hard to try and get a grip on my headspace. I, the, the whole thing was, I don't, the whole thing was, it was, it all happened so fast. Right. And we really did love each other. I mean, as a band and as bandmates, we, 
you know, we watched other bands who really weren't kind to each other. We, you know, we were around that and you know, just like typical stuff, making decisions. You just like you, people had, you know, you, you grew up in a band on tour with other bands that are young kids effectively. And you saw all sorts of like bad behavior, right. Or just like people having bad relationships. And I think for the most part, we really did have good relationships, but certainly over time, you know, the decision-making process, you take everything so seriously because you're, you're young and inexperienced yes, right. and everything feels like the most important decision down to like the color of that t-shirt or the, this. And I think it got hard because when I started the band, you know, it was kind of like my band, right? We played like my songs and, and people were like, yeah, this is great. Like, let's do this. But certainly when you become like you're signed and it's now it's everybody's career and it's how we make our money and it's how we survive. Rightly so, everybody got very interested in making decisions. And I think we never really quite figured out how to delegate, mm. who could do what. Right. So we would butt heads on things for sure. Um, and by North, I think we went away to make that record because we wanted to be away from people. We wanted to figure it out together. And it was like a really healthy move. And I, making the record, I, I don't recall there being a lot of tension at all. It was actually like a pretty nice moment. Will was kind of drifting a little bit away from the band at that point, but the rest of us were super invested. Josh and I got really close during that time and we had been butting heads. So it, it ended on like a high note in a, in a lot of ways, but okay, good. it was by the time we started doing the touring and things, you could just feel it, you know, that people weren't that glad to be on the road for a little bit, you know, it was, it, and, and we did, that's why we kind of took the hiatus, you know, it was just like, before we got to the point where we were mad at each other, we just hit the brakes. Josh went off to do, to do a uh, fire escape, his band. And, and I was like, well, maybe I should like cut a few tunes on my own. And that's how Jack's mannequin happened. You mentioned something that triggered my memory. Kevin Lyman has been on the show. Oh yeah. And he said that the one thing this uh, mistake that bands have made from the time Warp Tour started back in the 90s up until this second <clears throat> is they overthink every Everything. decision. And that causes so much tension between the bands. 800 emails going back and forth to figure out what color shirt you're going to wear in the video. Totally. And it's like, guys, we have this offer for a show. Do you think we should play this show and make all this money, this one show? Well, this fan in Maine is going to think that we're sellouts because it's this. And yeah. it's like, dude, do the shows, work. Get rid of all that kind of stuff. It's such a, I mean, and the thing is it all comes from such a good place, right? But it, in a band, in a properly like democratized band situation, and your kids, your young dumb men, and you know at least we were yes. right. Like it's just so hard to be steered to do things the right way. Like even when you have good managers or whatever, you don't trust anybody because you're you're just you're just finding your way. And there's a lot of people not to trust too, which is the other component of this. Like, totally. you know, and you have this choose your own adventure. Well, if I, if this is the single, well, and it doesn't work, what do we do? You know? And, and so I think they're really, you know, th there was a lot of, I think a lot of trust with the music. I think we really did support each other in the studio. And when we played shows, we had a, a ton of fun, but it is that it's micromanaging all of these things that often don't need, they don't need that much right. love and care. They need to be sort of like, it's okay. If this t-shirt doesn't sell, we'll make another one or yes. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and 
I don't think we really ever figured that out. And, and I think largely that's why Josh wanted to do a side project and why when I started Jack's Mannequin, I really incubated the creative process early on so that it was just fun. You know, it was like me and my producer. And that was it. Who was producing that? Jim Work? Jim Work, yeah. So Jim, who did the Something Corporate Records, he did the... Oh, he, he did the Something Corporate Records. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And so, I knew he did Jack's Mannequin with you. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Jim did the Something Corporate Records, and I just started showing up to 4th Street in Santa Monica, where yes. we had done the yep. Something Corporate Records, with songs, right? And I would, and I, I rolled in. I remember I made him... Uh, I recorded, like, 18 or 19 songs that I had written after North. And I, I put them all on, on a, uh, just on a CD... I sent them to him and I was like, let me know if you like any of these songs. Maybe we could cut one. And he's like, that song holiday from real, like that, 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 that to me is the one I was like, what about the other 17? You know, <laughs> but, but he, but he, he called that out. And so we went in and, and in like two days we cut this, this one song called uh locked doors and another song and, and holiday. And, it was just like, it was so fun. You know, after having been in the band for a while, it was like, oh, I could just do whatever I want to this song. I could play instruments that we don't even have in the band. And it's like, because I have no expectation of what will happen. And that kind of began this thing where it was just that Jim and I had this bond and we were, you know, it was just like, we'd go to the studio and smoke a bunch of weed and, 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 and I'd go play piano and sing a song and we'd just dress it up laugh the whole time and just it was it was so free and and that was the genesis of of the jacks thing it was like oh okay this could be just super easy you don't have to ask anybody for approval right, you right. know and and that's yeah. it was born out of that need for freedom and and you know and i was 20 you know what 21 it's like that age where you just you kind of want to be on your own a little bit yes you know yeah. and, and having nothing to do with the bandmates my bandmates it was just like oh it just feels kind of nice to be out here free floating and and not having to answer to anybody. And music was and is your destiny because yeah. I thought from the first time I met you that there's nothing else that you're going to do in life. You're not going to go back to school and do whatever. Like you <laughs> are going to maybe you'll write songs for someone else, you'll score movies, you'll do Jack's Matic, and and you're doing it. So that's 2005, Everything in Transit. Yeah. Yeah. What an album. Thanks, Dude, man. And successful. Yeah. And fans are like, holy cow, what is going on with this dude right here? Andy McMahon, this Jack, this is really, really good. Did you have a sense, was it a sense of any sort of relief or was it like, oh, of course this is going to happen like this? I, it was, I was just like, I feel like I was in, like in the passenger seat on that. It was <laughs> just like, it, you know, it, the music, the music was entirely my focus, right? It was just like, I had this batch of songs. Kelly and I were 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 broken up at that point. And so I just like, I had my piano and my, my buddies living downstairs. I mean, we, I had like a proper bachelor pad and like, you know, I, I owned a, a, a little townhouse and it was like, and, and I had some money from having done the thing. It was, it was really this beautiful. And I just channeled all of that into the songs, right? It was like feeling heartbroken over this breakup, but like also being out of control, like just partying and having so much fun with my friends and getting to really like, for a second, enjoy the, the the fruits of the labor that we did with something corporate by like being home and seeing the people that I grew up with that I hadn't seen for years because I was on tour. Right. And and so I just made the songs and it was probably four or five songs in that I was like, oh man, there's something here. You know, we had gotten like the first four songs were that were like, I'm ready, holiday from real, bruised maybe. I mean, th th these... 
and I was listening to these songs. I'm like, this is this is my this is these are my best songs. Like I knew it, and and so nice. so nice. I was I just told my manager I was like, try and find a place that there's somebody who will put it out. That's definitely not the label that we're on right now. Because so they, you go to Maverick, right? Yeah, guy signed me. Got, this is okay. Yeah. Guy yeah. Guy O'Siri, who's been Madonna's manager. Well, he became yeah. Yep. And he started Maverick Records. He manages the Chili Peppers now. He's a really smart guy. And if he likes you, I mean, he's got exquisite taste. He's a great guy. Yes. Yeah. I, I really liked guy. him. And yeah, him and Kevin Williamson there, we negotiated this like hysterical, like I got off of, I was Geffen now, owned the something corporate contract. And my manager got me off of Geffen, like under the cover of darkness. It was hysterical. Like I should have been there for like three more records. But that and would have been under the something corporate. They owned all. Oh, they, they, they did. They owned. Holy they own everybody. Mackerel. They own everybody. Whoa. And my manager had a relationship with the current president, who didn't like my band at all. And and he's like, you don't like this kid. He's just gotta go. He's gonna go do like a little side project. Just let him do it someplace else. And so they released me from my contract for solo work and i would have been stuck there and with nobody wanting to put the record out and gavin and guy got a copy of the record and a few other guys and all of a sudden it was like there was this like little frenzy that we had to keep quiet so geffen didn't find out and 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 so the the record got signed like secret the deal got signed secretly and and then I just threw everything at it. Bobby came and joined me in the studio. My guitar player, he played in the last uh, the last lineup of something corporate. He came in and helped me finish it over Christmas 2004. And and then all of a sudden, Maverick was like, this is a, like our top priority. We're going to blow this record oh up. Oh, my gosh. And it was just like from that moment, I was just like Good hair on me. fire. Like all of a sudden, we're getting, you know, flown to South by Southwest and going, you know, and 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 – they're doing this really great kind of guerrilla marketing campaign where we didn't tell anybody my, that I was attached to the project. We were just like infiltrating message boards and like <laughs> dropping tunes on message boards. Like, doesn't this kind of sound like the guy from something corporate, you know, like, like, and just, and, you know, just sort of fed it into the, into the atmosphere, but not using my name. Uh, Cause I was really, it was, I was really passionate about not making it look like I was like one of these guys who was like going solo. Hence I didn't, put my name on it right you know and yeah. but it just became its own animal that ran almost entirely on the on the passion of the label and my willingness to show up and and bring it on a great band and people just started showing up how many records three under jack's three. mannequin right three yeah okay so two full length something corporate then you got three with jack's mannequin but in 2005 and we don't have to dwell on it too much because you talked about it a lot in your life but you got sick yeah. In 2005. Very, yeah. What was happening physically that led you to even see a doctor and tell them, I don't know if something's going right with me right now? So it was. It started with my voice, right? I mean, I, I was starting to have trouble with my voice. And I, it was easy to blame myself for that too because I drank and smoked and, it, you know, it was like – but I could do all those things and it wasn't a problem before. So it was kind of – it was a little strange. And I remember one flight I, I took – actually took to go home and kind of you know reconnect with kelly like you know i had a day off tour and i was like can i take you to disneyland you know like <laughs> it, to the tragic kingdom right <laughs> um and and uh and so we had sort of started getting back together and and i don't know if my body was waiting for that moment to like close the loop on that and set that in motion but we we had started started getting back together i flew back to the tour and i remember 
getting off a plane in Columbus, Ohio, and trying to walk from the gate to baggage claim. Okay. And I had to stop three times to catch my breath. And I remember getting in the car with Arvis, my tour manager, and I said, I'm having trouble, like, I just, I'm just having trouble, like, even getting from one place to another without having to stop. I was like holding the the the, the railing at on the wall at the airport, and then it's it went downhill pretty quickly after that. There was probably another week and a half's worth of shows, all big shows. We you know all all of a sudden we're selling out New York, and Tom Wally's like, "Why don't you come to my uh you know come come to my beach house in in New Jersey after the show?" And it's like the president of Warner Brothers Records is now having me at his beach house, right, yeah. you know, and I so I just put, I was putting it out of my mind, and then finally I just could not sing. Like I, I was sleeping oh, all day man. and I had a press event at a day, day long press. And in between doing the press, I was in the back of this van, just like shake, like just convulsing. Cause I, I could not stop shaking, you know, but I, I would, it would be time to get on stage and I would just like, you know, like white knuckle it. And, and then Andrew. finally I had to, I, I had to cancel a show and I'd never done that before. And I was like, when I, you canceled that show, did you feel like you were letting all these people down and oh all that God. sort of thing? It was devastating. God, man, you were so sick. I was, oh. I was so devastated. And I went, and I, I, and I, we were due to be back in the city the next day because I had to um, finish mastering Transit. We, we were pressing the final master that was going to be the, the finished record. And um, so I'd gone to my voice doctor. I was like, dude, my voice. But he, like, I didn't even get in the chair before he was like, you look like a fucking ghost. And um, and he took my blood work and got the results back while I was in the mastering session. And I got out of the mastering session. It was just like, call me, call me, call me, call me, call me. And he's like, you're going to, like, the oncology wing of St. Joseph's Hospital. I was like, say what? <laughs> you know, and like... <clears throat> That poor mastering engineer, this guy, Ted, he's a great guy. He comes into the room where I'm getting this phone call as I just burst into tears because I just heard I just heard these words for the first time. And it was Over like the phone. They did it well because he was like, he's like, don't move. Don't go anywhere. You could literally get an infection right now that would kill you like the wind could blow and you could get like the common cold and die right now. And I was like. Thank you for that, you know, and and so I just I'm bawling. And here comes Ted, like to be like, oh, we we're we're, we're getting close, and I'm just like, ah! and he I just see him like, he's like, pardon me, he runs out the door the other way, and and I remember that moment, the moment where like everything shifted was I was waiting for them to burn the CD of my finished record. That's like why I was still at the studio, and I'm sitting there, and I was like, I I realized I couldn't wait for my, I couldn't even wait to get the finished record because I had to go to the hospital that urgently. And so, and that was that. I was there. They diagnosed me in New York and, you know, everybody rallied, my label, my manager, my agent. They got me a private plane because I couldn't fly, on, I couldn't be on a plane with any other people because I was so sick and they flew me to LA so I could be treated there. So sorry, man. Oh, dude. I mean, oh, look. God. And I remember that news so vividly hearing yeah. about it. And I... You know, obviously a much younger guy there. I just, my head was spinning so much, and I was like, yeah, I just remember feeling really, really sad. It was, you know, it was such a bizarre time, right? And, it, like, I felt really at peace with all of it. It was very strange for me. I just immediately slipped into this, like, 
okay, like this is, this is happening. And you finished, you got to finish your record, you know, you're, you're back with your girlfriend. And I was, I was on such, I mean, I was on such a glide path towards self-destruction anyway, that there was this moment I was in the hospital where it was just like, dude, you were going to kill yourself one way or another. You know mm. what I mean? It was just, it was just partying so hard. I mean, it was a, I was having a blast, but, right. but, but that's what 22 year olds do. They have a freaking blast, whether they're non-musicians or musicians, you go crazy at 20 years old, 22. Yeah, but I had a sixth gear. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, because I had all of this energy, I was just this naturally energetic person. I would be the last guy up every night. I would, I would be the one when people were like, dude, it's like party's over. It's like, no, get your shit. We're going to drive to Vegas now. You know what I mean? Like it was, and again, it was, it was great, but there was a moment in the hospital where I was just like this act, I'm, I'm being told to slow down. Mm. You know what I mean? And if you Mm. listen to everything in transit, it's like, it's written in every lyric on that. It's like, there's dark blue, slow down. Like it's written in there, you know, there's songs about ambulances, everything else. It was just like, it felt like it was so, it was in my genetic it was in my dna at that moment that i knew i was i knew i was pushing myself too hard and these things happen when you're pushing yourself i mean my doctor was like that's not how this happened but i i i felt there was a it was a very intentional pause a a message sent from the universe for sure uh the glass passenger 2018 yeah that had to be difficult to make that was that was really i think the darkest period of my life truthfully, you know, because I didn't know how, I didn't know how to be better. You know, a lot of people wanted to make a hero out of me. I think that we do, we make this mistake with, with cancer survivors that, you know, you, you prop them up as you're a survivor, you're a hero, like must, you must look at life and just like see it so much differently now. And and you must just appreciate every day. You hear all of these and most of us, that's not what happens, you know, especially for young people, you, you know, it's like one, you're so grateful to be alive. And there's a lot of guilt about being one of the people that survive when you see so many people pass in the process. Um, but you add the layer of, I was also in a rock band who just went right back on the road. And I really used touring as my cover for the fact that I was really depressed and really confused oh. and really alienated. Um, and I, and angry because the things that came easy before I got sick were so much harder. Like what sort of things were so much harder? Writing. Oh, relationships. I mean, like I was just, I, I was on this kind of like PTSD roller coaster, right? One day everything was like amazing, but it was this real sort of, you know, manic kind of depressive sort of, uh, spot. Right. And, and. And on top of that, I was expected to deliver music, right? And and that, all of a sudden, the thing that always came easiest to me, writing songs and getting in the studio was like, where, that was like, that was my lifeblood. When things were hard at home when I was a kid, music was my refuge, right? All of a sudden, it became a part of the problem and that had never happened. And so writing those songs was so difficult. The ones I wrote and got through the gates were really a part of my healing process, but it was so, it took me so long to find those songs and that really scared me. Wow, man. Yeah, yeah. But I love that record. Oh, it's a great record. Um, 
And it's, you're, you're Jack's mannequins, right? They're like debuting in like top 10, top 12. Yeah. You could still like, sell, there were still records to be sold. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like people, and they should really, really cared about you and the songs and yeah. were into your story even before you got sick. But then, man, alive. I'm so glad that I'm with you today. I got to Well, tell you, you man. guys, I mean, uh, there was so much. I mean, that, the, the period leading up to that, you know, like the, the, the getting better and that kind of first year back on my feet. I mean, the way that the the way that not just my fans, but people like yourself and MTV at the time, like there was like people were telling my story that didn't tell my story before, you know, and 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 I felt it, you know, like being at home, being at home, you know, totally just laid out and like having Kurt Loder do a do a piece on me on MTV. Like those things like really they made my day. It was like, oh, man, people are like trying to keep me in 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 everybody's minds and and I inherited a successful record that I didn't even promote because I was in the hospital for that year all of a sudden I showed up on tour a year later and shows are sold out and it's like my biggest touring that I'd ever done it was like oh my gosh like I was so scared I was just going to disappear you know and and everybody carried the torch for me it was it was really beautiful it really was yeah yeah and that led to the Dear Jack Foundation Mm -hmm. and I know at least right now in this that you may see this interview in 2025, but on Cameo, yeah. you're doing messages for people right now, and all <laughs> yes. the money. Do you do it? Are you on Cameo? I have a Cameo, yeah. but I don't think I'm nearly as busy I'm as under, you. By the uh, way, 10 Striker and Cameo, uh, but uh, Andrew's donating 100% of that money to the foundation because you got to get to the 250000 yeah. uh amount raised this, this year. Yes, so we... I came up with this idea, which is hysterical because I'm like the last guy. Like, Cameo has been trying to get me to be on Cameo <laughs> since Cameo existed, and and like nothing against them, but I, I I just I just was like, I don't know. I, I felt a little unsure of doing it, and and so many people asked me to though because there's like not really a convenient way to send these messages elsewhere. Like you can't do it on Instagram because they disappear and you yes. whatever. Yeah, and and so I I I, <laughs> I knew there there was this gap in the fundraising this year. I was like. I have a pretty good idea. I'm just gonna sign up for cameos, oh my and God. I've done a hundred of them in you three have? days. Yeah, I've done. Wait, a-, a question for you. Listen, I have not done many cameos, but each one I do takes me like 20 minutes because I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, nah, that was not good. That wasn't worth it. Let me try it again. And I sit in this room with the camera there. How are you at doing them with the messages? I'm pretty good. I mean, I I do have that thing too. Like, I'll finish I'll finish one or I'll fumble a word. I'll be like, you idiot, you know, like. Um, but it, it, you know, it, I've actually found it to be sort of like a very like wholesome and sweet moment in my day. It's it's strange. I didn't expect that I would like it. Yeah. And the things that people are writing, you know, like I, I I'm, you know, people are being very candid with me because they want these messages to be personal. So it's like. I kind of love it. It's like this moment where I get to be like, hey, so-and-so, like, I hear you're doing, like, a really good job. You're, like, right. killing it with your with your kids and your work. And it's just, like, I kind of feel pumped up, you know? Like, I, it's, like, the, my second life as, a as a, like, a motivational right. uh, <laughs> coach or something. But, but um, no, it's been fun. And, and we've, I, 
sixteen thousand raised in the last three days. Congratulations! Yeah. So, so cameo, I'm, cameo, cameo. Andrew McMahon raise you money. He'll give you a message and tell you how great you are, or he'll promote your new flower shop that you're op- opening. Hey, come see the whatever it is, right? I'm here for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know it's it, it's been fun, and I'm glad to see it working. And I, I'm, I think we're going to get to our targets. So that's good. Good. Yeah. good. All right, we're all an hour in, so I'm going to pick up. I mean, I'm loving every second of it. I got nowhere to be. You could you could chop it up however you want to do it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> After no, there's no chopping. We just yeah. we let the whole thing go. So after three Jack's Mannequin albums, yeah, I don't know the reason why Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. Um, so I mean, I, I talked. I mean, I I talked about like what happened with with Glass Passenger, right? Yes. And and really, the third record was an attempt at writing the ship, and and like I had started going to therapy. Like a really, I had gotten to this moment where I was like, dude, you can't my wife really pushed me to this. She was just like, you're such a mess all the time. Like I need you to be, I need you to get better, like actually get better, you know? And, and so I, I started going to therapy. Like I really wanted the third Jack's record to be a big moment, like where I kind of stable ground, like a, a healthy environment for the, the recording, all that stuff. But so many, so many, you know, so many things have been put into motion largely by me uh, in the way that I had had sort of operated both with my band and my business and all that stuff that just couldn't be undone easily. Right. And, um, and so some of the, some of the, at the time, some of the relationships with my band mates weren't, weren't very good because I, I'd mismanaged them. I had been mismanaged at times like, and, and so there was just this moment where I really wanted the third record to be a big thing, but then Warner Brothers started falling apart. All of a sudden, there's new, there's new president, and he kind of commandeered the record and jacked up the budget, paying himself and 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 other, oh. you know, like it just it was all this, it, all this murky shit was happening that I was trying to get better, and I just felt like the environment that I had built around myself, uh, and I take the blame for that entirely that I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to be in a position to win in that environment. So I just kind of, I just, I hit pause, you know, and, and all with love with my band, you know, the, these guys I still play with now, but it was just like, I need to go away for a minute. I need to get off of this label. I need to, I need to not be managed by anybody for a second. And I just, and I just went home and I focused for the first time in my life on like just taking care of my shit, you know? And, and, um, that was huge. Right. And I, 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 my wife and I, we went on a road trip with, with her sister and, and their kids. And, and my, like, we got in an RV and rode around the country for a month, you know, just did things that, you know, I'd never afforded myself the time to do. And I, and, and stopped smoking weed all day long every day, which had been like really the, like had, had gotten to a point that it was really stopping me from making progress, yeah. you know, like all for the weed, by the way, but just, it wasn't helping me at the time, you know? And, um, and yeah, I just started rebuilding my life. And, and I think the wilderness was born out of that. I was like, I know I'm not going to, I'm not just going to give myself another moniker. I need to own my name. I need for people to know that I wrote the songs for Jack's mannequin and that I wrote the songs for something corporate or, or, or most of them at least. And, and that whatever these new songs are, that they're my songs. Right. And, yes. And the wilderness was that moment of like cutting all of these chords, like after having two really successful bands, knowing how afraid I was to 
to start over, but knowing that it was the only way I was going to do it well and do it healthfully. And, um, and I started just putting myself in really uncomfortable situations. And that's also the kind of the wilderness. I started writing songs with Fernando Garibay, who, who did like Lady Gaga records and Ali Tamposi, who had, you know, written stronger for Kelly Clarkson. And I, and I working with, with Mark, uh, Williams, who was, you know, who's gone on to like work with Kanye. And you know, I just kind of put it, started putting myself in rooms with other creative people and started collaborating in a way that I hadn't. And that was the wilderness too. It was just like, you're going to reinvent yourself, but you can't just do it. You can't do the same thing over and expect to get the same result. You have to do something oh, new. Yes. And that was, that was what it was. That's how it started. Wow. And right out the gate, was it Sicilian satellite? Was yeah. that right out the gate? That's I mean, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I put out, I did an EP that I kind of put out independently to just sort of like make it so I could get on the road. And, yeah. and um, but then I hired, uh, I hired crush, who managed me up until this last year, who just did an amazing job. And Jonathan just looked at me. He's like, you just have to go right. I know you want to be on the road. I know you want to do this. He's like, you just need to make a really great album. And in the process, I met, I met James Flanagan and Mike Viola and, and wrote Cecilia and the Satellite and High Dive. And, and, and uh, I love High Dive. Yeah. And like, and, High Dive. and those songs, I mean, Cecilia was just like, wow, I had this baby you know, and I and wrote her into to, yeah. you know into this song, and it's so personal. It's like the opposite of what people tell you to do when you want to write a hit song. They're like, it should be broad and vague, and don't tell you. You know, like there's like these these really bad notions about what a good song is or how to get there. And it was like, no, I'm just going to tell like a very specific story about where I come from. And the fact that that was the one that got through the gates was just like, just it just felt like such a win. Um, and it was a song that got better as it went. Yeah, and thank I you. had zero burn at all. And we were playing it a lot on the radio. I mean, I've been listening to it recently. It's there's something about it that just makes you feel really, really good. I mean, it, it. I think the thing is, it was it was just born out of such a pure place. I mean, I wrote that song with these two guys. I had met them the the day that we wrote the song, and it was like because my wife was so pregnant that that James looked at me. He's like. You know, because I, I told him I might have to leave here to like go have a baby. You yeah. know, and and so he's like, "Well, mate, I guess we don't have to write about that." You know, <laughs> that's my bad British accent. And I was like, "I'm not gonna write the cheesy dad song." He's like, "He's like, yeah, you are. This is what you're doing today." You know, like he was just boldly told me. I was like, "Here's the thing. If I do that, it has to come from. There has to be some. There has to be some edge in it somewhere." And so it's like first line, you know, locked myself in a hotel room, waited all night for the walls to move, you know, and, and for the walls to move. Yeah. And, and, and and I, and I remember it, you know, sitting there and we had gotten to that line and it was like, okay, this is, this is the way in. It's about who I am and the, the pitfalls and the successes and all these things. And I'm sharing them with her. Right. It's, you know, it's not like, I'm so glad to be your dad. You know, it's, it's like, no, I'm going to tell you, like, I've been through a lot yeah. and you're going to go through a lot, but I'm going to be here to go through it with you, you know? And, and that was the DNA of it. And I, uh, I just love that people got it, you know, people that didn't have kids got it. If you loved anybody, it, it made sense, you know? And I, I'm, I'm thank God for it. Cause it, it really made it possible for me to keep doing this thing. Right. Yeah. And so what is the plan 
exactly now. Earlier in our chat, you did mention that there are a bunch of new songs, oh, yeah. but you've released maybe like three new songs over the last, what, six months or so? Yeah. So is, are you just going to give us a song every three months or at some point? And it doesn't matter to me. I'm just curious. Yeah. What's the strategy? How does it work now? Well, I mean, I, I, the beauty of getting to this stage in my career is I trust people to for strategy. I mean, I, I consult on everything, but it's like, I want, I have a new label, I have new managers, I have new everything right now. How does and that feel? It feels amazing. Feel like f super fresh? Absolutely. And, and, and the truth is none of that stuff was arrived at in uh, like a tumultuous, like, like the way that things have become undone in my career in the past, this was just like these natural ebbs and flows of life that, that just led to this moment where everything is new. And I have to trust this record company and I have to trust uh, these managers and they've given me no reason not to at this point. Um, but yes, like we're working stars right now and, and, and they're doing great with it, which is, which is awesome. Uh, but we are going to basically every month or two put out a new song. Okay. We'll do that about five or six times and then we'll go for the full record in the new year. The song Stars, which I'm playing on my show, Out of Order, which yeah. is on like 40 different radio stations. Thank you, by the way. Of course. Love the video. Thank you. So cool. Yeah. Um, where did this particular song come from? You don't have to tell me exactly what it means, but like yeah. where the heck were you when this thing came together? I was in. I was up here, actually, in, in the hills with an amazing writer-producer guy named Sammy Witte. Uh, and and uh, I just had this like kind of date night gone bad uh <laughs> like the night before i went into the studio where where we ended up in, in there's there's a, a place called the swallows Inn in san juan which is like kind of like a cowboy slash like punk rock bar right okay. you know it's it, like they've got like country bands that'll play but like it's a lot of like kind of like tough guys in 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 flannel shirts and shit you know like and and it's somewhere you go you go when you you, you you've had a few and you're like let's close out the night at the swallows right. yes the, the the it's such a stupid story in the sense that it was like my wife just wanted me to go dance with her and i was feeling so self-conscious i'm like dressed like this in the cowboy bar and yeah. i'm like i don't know if i want to like like, I just don't want to be seen. Like, I, I just, it was me. I didn't want to be seen dancing. <laughs> like, I love to dance, but it was like, it didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. And, and so I said no. And she was so bummed oh. out about it. Right. And then I, like, so then I begrudgingly went, but it's just like the night kind of fell apart because I was an idiot. Right. I, it ended. Right. You don't get the credits for going to this thing if you kick and scream when you go to it. Right. And so then, and then like the night ends, like, even worse, I, I get the Uber and I'm like stewing on the sidewalk and oh, and then I, I'm like, the Uber's here. You know, I go get in the back of the car and this lady's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'd gotten into somebody else's car that was not my Uber. Oh. You know, like, it just like, just flailing as a man, you know, like as a husband. I was just, I just did it so bad. Everything you just said you did is horrible, as you know. Like, I am so mad at you for this They're the one worst. night. It's the worst. It's, I've right? done it a million times, and you, it's the worst. You can't avoid it. It, yes. hap it happens. If you're going to be married for 16 years, these are the Ooh. dumb things that you do. And uh, and so I carried that with me into this session that I had gone into. And I had this, I had this book, you know, that where I write down notes and lyrics or ideas. And I had this one lyric, which was the stars that fell for you left holes in my roof. Right. And I just, I didn't know what it meant, but it just felt like it just made me feel a certain way. And so I had this lyric and Sammy and I just, we just put up this kind of scene together, you know, this, this drum pattern and, and a keyboard part. 
And I just started singing the embarrassment of sitting in that bar and just totally screwing the whole thing up. And, and sort of also the magic about like, if you love somebody a lot, you're going to see them fail and they're going to fail you and you're going to figure it out, you know? And I think that that that's really what's baked into the lyric of the song is just, you know, empathy for, for, this deep love that you you're going to have, you're going to have your worst days together too. Right. And, and that can still, that can be a part of the beautiful, you know, story because you're going to laugh at yourself about this stuff if you can get through it, you know? And then that's really what the song is about for me. I love that, man. Yeah. I love that. I am going to, anytime my wife says to me, she always wants to do stuff. <laughs> and I'm someone who doesn't want to do a lot of stuff. And so, unfortunately, similar to you, I sometimes get a little bit of an attitude yeah. like that. Ah. And instead, I just need to be like, all right, let's go. Like, what's it going to, it's not going to kill me to go to the Palm Springs flea market. Like, yeah. it's, it's going to be fun if I go. Instead, I'm like, oh, so many people. We got to look at all these old things. It's just. <laughs> I mean, look. Everybody has the everybody has the right to not do things they don't want to do for sure. I think the but I she think, has so many things yeah. for me. It's like yeah. why don't I just go to the Rose yeah. Bowl swap me or wherever? Like yeah. I gotta go do these things. You gotta show up. You know, it's it's it, look. It, it, the funny thing is, like, we don't fight a ton, but what's hysterical is that I always write a song, like, the day after we fight. Like, it's it's like somehow it's fertile ground. Like, yeah, and I, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. because it also reanimates why we're together it's like because sometimes you, you you know if you still have that passion that you can kind of you know reach that moment where you're like where you're not seeing eye to eye when you when you get up the next day and you're like oh yeah i still think you're awesome you know that that's yes. like like that's almost i find like that's the edge that persists you know uh, that i was always worried would leave me if i was stable and settled and it's like oh no there's like there's so many hard edges to, to good love, you know, and, 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 totally. and, and, yes. and, you know, I, I mind those moments. So there's like a lot, there's, like, there's definitely a few songs on this record that were born out of the aftermath, you know, there's a song called Built to Last, which I played for the first time last night. That's like very much that the duality of being like, oh, I hate you, but I don't hate you at all. You're the best, you yeah, know, like, right. And I, I like to write in that place. It's interesting to me. The one fear that I do have, and I don't know if you have it, because you just said something like you wake up the next day, you're like, ah, God, I love this person. Yeah. But what if you did so much cumulative mini damage oh. that one day they wake up and are like, oh, what a jerk I'm with. Yeah. You never want that to happen, but has that ever crossed your mind? No. Honestly, I mean, look, I do, I do, has it crossed my mind that my wife was one day going to be like, this guy's an idiot, I'm leaving? <laughs> yes, that, that, that has crossed my mind. Um, no, I... I, I I think because like I really I you know we've worked really hard to be as conscious in in the in the world as humanly possible and as conscientious of each other. So even when we get into the the kind of things that you get into, we like we do autopsies on all this stuff. You know, it's like how how what you know we really are super motivated to like if there's con if there's conflict or confrontation to to find a healthy resolution. You know, there there's we we learned. I think the hard way about burying things, you know, because I buried so much for so long when I was in my recovery, you know, that, that it's, it's really, we're super motivated to always have a baseline of like good health That's between good. us, you know, but you know, that, that, that ebbs and flows too. But, but yeah, I, 
I really, I'm, my fingers crossed. She's going to listen to this. She'll be like, you better believe it. I'm going to wake up one day. But <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, we, fight, we fight pretty fair. Good. That's yeah. good. A yeah. uh, couple more things before we're done with this. Yeah. You mentioned the word uh, collaborating earlier. How in the world did you and Tom Morello find each other in life to make the song The Maze? Yeah. Which is a beautiful song. Thank you, man. You know, t- uh, Tom and I have a mutual friend and a guy named Michael Goldstone. Okay. Um, and Goldie ran Sire. So he, it, Sire Records, which was like one of the many imprints I was sort of shuffled around onto in my Warner days. But Goldie, I, I mean, he's he, he has... He's like the Midas touch. He signed, he signed uh, uh, Rage, and I. Uh, oh wow! I, I mean, he, like he said, he has some a crazy signing history that you're just like, whoa, this guy's got magic ears. Um, and and so Tom, I'm pretty sure that Tom heard my music through Goldie, and was working on this collaboration project, and he just reached out to me. I was like, shut the front door. Like, what? Tom Morello is texting me right now. I'm like. Sorry, Tom, but I definitely screenshot our entire text conversation and sent it to my brothers, you know what I mean? Because I was just like, we grew, you know, like they were like rage fanatics. I, of all people, grew up on rage. Like I loved Rage Against the Machine as a kid. And uh, and so he reached out. I had this song that I had written actually with uh, um, with one of the dudes from, from uh, from Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, ben Chris Wall- Chris Wallace. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he and I had written a version, of, like a version of that song, and then I went and worked on it more. And I had it sitting there, and I, I sent Tom a handful of tracks. I was like, "Does any of this stuff seem interesting to you?" And he's like, "I like this one." And and yeah, and then it was like we did it. It was still COVID was still kind of going, and studios weren't fully open. So I would like record a thing and send it to him, and then he'd send it to an engineer, and we'd sit there and get like we'd be getting guitar parts like from Tom Morello. There was like a there was this amazing moment where it's like this one is the sound of a a a, a bird squawking, and it's like ah gah, gah, you know like and we're like. Put it in the track, oh. you know. Like it, it was, it was really cool, man. Oh, nice, yeah, man. Yeah. He's a he's a sweetheart. And then another relationship, um, Tommy Lee. Yeah, you've known him for years now, right? Yeah, and we did some work with him, and he did the voice for like how? How so, do you know him? So that was through my manager, Carl at the t- uh, Carl Stubner at the time. He was managing Tommy, and uh, and. Tommy, the same thing. Tommy called me while I was in the studio recording everything in transit because he was working on a solo record, and he had heard North. He loved the North album, and he was really, and he was obsessed with Me and the Moon. He like he just loved that song, which was one of my favorite songs for sure on that record. And he called me, and he's like, you know, in full Tommy, you know. And I was like, I at first I was like, this is definitely like I'm getting, I'm like I'm I'm getting (laughs) pranked here, like you know. But he was so, it was just, it was Tommy Lee on the phone. And he was like, Andrew, like, I love Me in the Moon so much, bro. And I'm working on this record. I mean, just the whole thing. He's like, would you, I, I started this song and, I, and it just feels like something you could help me finish. Would you be down to come help me write this song? And so I'm in the studio. Jim Wirt is like over here. We're cutting a, we're cutting a song together. And I was like, Jim, Tommy is just asking me if I can leave the studio and come to his studio. So I just, I just left. I just got in my car and drove to Nichols Canyon and there, and I hang with Tommy. He's playing me all this music. He's just this, like his energy is so rad. Like he just is up. And when he hears a song, he likes 
oh, his whole body's moving and he's yeah. just like, yeah, it's so positive. And I was just, I was immediately like team Tommy so hard. And he had this really beautiful song that he had started. And I was like, I've never written in the room with anybody else. Cause I hadn't, you know, uh, like other than one song or two songs for the, the last Jack's record. So I, I, um, Oh no, that's right. So I hadn't written with anybody yet. That was in the future. This, so I'd never been in a room writing with somebody. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable sitting here like across from you trying to do this. I'm like, could I take this home this weekend and try and throw some things together? And so I did. And I came back in the studio and he like, he was so into it. And it began this relationship where it was like, I would be recording transit in Santa Monica. And then I would be packing up, going to Nichols Canyon to write and record for Tommy and this went on for like a couple months and, and you know, and it was the best you'd show up and the guy would come and you'd have these bag of pre-rolled joints and a chef. <laughs> so you'd smoke the joint and then the, and then they cook you dinner and then you, and then you like, and at no point is anybody working. Right. And you're like, and you're like, and you finally have, you have like the best meal. And then somebody's like, and then it's 11 and it's like, okay, let's go. And you're like, Okay, you know, and, and that's how they worked. It was amazing, you know, and all these rad people are coming through, and, oh, and, and it was, and I was, I was a kid, I was twenty two, you know, and and so he he played into that whole transit era thing, you know, where it was just like I'm like hanging out with Tommy Lee now, you know, yeah, and, right. and, and and enough so that I got the balls up to be like, will you will you play drums on my record? And so he played all the drums on everything in transit, wow. yeah. Most of voice the documentary, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, wow. and when I got sick, God, he was so, you know, he Man. came to visit me and he, you know, like you get, you get Tommy Lee showing up to the hospital at UCLA. It's like, come on, man. People are like, what? What's, who are you? Yeah. You know, they take better care of you for sure. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, he was such a, yeah, he, he was just so kind. And so like you, you know, he just, he felt it so much and he checked in on me all the time and, and eventually voiced the documentary, which was, you know, it was such a sweet gesture for a dude who has infinite things to be doing all the time. But right. Yeah. He's, 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 he's one of my favorites. That's cool, man. Yeah. Thanks for sharing so much today. Oh yeah, dude. Was, I, I, I'm an open, I'm an fun. open book, man. I lo I love this stuff. That it's was fun. What a career you built that you continue to build. It's just getting bigger. Thanks, People man. are super stoked about something corporate. We're super excited about Andrew Man in the wilderness. Congrats on everything. Just hope you know the rising tide. Let's just get, let's get yes. a, let's get them all up finally in the place that I you know the, at least we all hope they would be when we started this journey twenty you plus get, years ago. Yeah, yourself in a good mental place, and you. Sound like that you went through some stuff with bands and how you conducted yourself. You're still a great guy. And then, I don't know, you've been doing a lot of work in front of people and behind the scenes. Yeah. I, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm about as happy as I've ever been. You good. Know? And, and, good, and, good. And just, you know, and after the pandemic, just glad to be back in a studio and glad to be making new music. It's been a while. So yeah. it's, it, it feels really good. And, and I, I think people are going to really like this record. I'm excited for it. You look great, by the way. Thank Thanks, you. Man. Appreciate you. Anna McMahon has been in my house. It's always surreal. All right, uh, find the man on the road. Look for all the new music. And that's another episode of Tuna on Toast. I am Stryker. Happy snuggles. Bye-bye. That was fun, dude. Awesome. That's another episode of Stryker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>